welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so it's been a bit since we recorded, and there's been a couple of movies that came out that we both watched, so I figure that uh, I want to get your opinion on some of these. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to bring up Jurassic World first, since it came out uh, the earliest of these two films, I guess. Uh, what did you think of the new Jurassic World Dominion movie? Uh, well, we I know we kind of discussed how there was things to kind of pick apart about the movie, but... Aside from the things that you could say, oh, well, you know, this wouldn't happen and this wouldn't happen. Well, let's just be honest. It's a fucking dinosaur movie. A lot of shit (laughs) isn't going to really happen. (laughs) We're talking about that. It's not correct in terms of how dinosaurs really are, how they work. You know, that's just that's just the cold hard truth. But I fucking enjoyed the film. And what made it a lot more like fun and exciting was the fact that we saw it in the D-box seats that move and shake and uh, rumble and everything. Oh my God, it was so fucking fun. It felt like (laughs) some scenes where you're like riding next to the dinosaurs, like you're on a horse riding next to the dinosaurs. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's almost like a theme park ride at that point. Kind of, yeah, but without the motion sickness factor. It wasn't, it was enough to make you feel like you were in it, but not enough to give me motion sickness. I get motion sickness real easy. The hubs knows. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I will throw up <laughs> if I'm in the back seat and he's driving. Really, it's anybody. It's not just I'm just him. saying, oh, my God, because we have a difference of opinion when it comes oh, to Oh, he didn't. Movie. Yeah, he did not like it. <laughs> um, I, Well, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Like, I went into it with the base level expectations. Like, I literally hated The Fallen Kingdom. Like, I thought it was, I, I just hated every minute of that whole entire movie. So I went into this one like, oh my God, this is going to be just two hours plus of just, you know, bullshit. And it is, but I mean, <laughs> it, but it's it's entertaining if you turn your brain off. And that's the key. Okay, you have on, to turn on. your brain off. Let's really examine this. Because movie. the whole idea of the movie <laughs> is that it's rooted in science. That's the fundamental basis of this movie it's so rooted in science that we can revive the dinosaur species so if you are taking the position that this movie is rooted in science why are we not following any of the science that goes along with it well wasn't this movie also (laughs) this particular movie rooted in the fact or well the last one too that you can change the dna you can change you can alter it you can fuck with it i'm not even worried about that i'm worried about the part with the reptiles in the cold they're cold-blooded. The, exactly. The cold-blooded, so, yeah. <laughs> he he let he he thought too much. He was thinking. The no, whole I didn't. Time. The whole movie <laughs> it, it, it puts the position you should think about science because look at all the amazing things you can do. At the same time, they disregarded it in every single scene. It was awesome movie. Here, here's what I'm going to say about it: Jurassic Park. The original movie, the, the best one. Yes. I mean, they, they all went downhill from there. It's, oh, yeah. it's It's never been topped. Was about the science. It was based on the Crichton novel. It focused really hard on, like, can this be done? And it, and, and, and followed the science pretty well. I mean, there, there was things here and there, probably, but it, it went along with it. It was so this good. It got people ha- thinking, thinking, actually, about it. Like, we could do this, you know? Yeah, and they've actually found, like, uh, totally preserved DNA of, like, even... And woolly mammoths that they say they could straight up if they used like modern day elephants they could bring them back like so it's not you know it's not science fiction the problem with this one is not only the cold-blooded dinosaurs which is in the previews that that's bad you know and they're in like this cold climate and they're moving perfectly fine and nobody seems to question that uh the biggest issue i have is that they are in the world's ecosystems now and they are not decimating them i don't understand oh, how yeah. these massive creatures <laughs> You know, you, even you take like the the pacifist, you know, uh, quote unquote pacifist, like brontosaurus, you know, and all that stuff. 
they're going to be eating the shit out of all of our trees to the point that we're going to be having just complete decimation of our forest. I was I mean, thinking like that too. That. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't understand. It's just like, we're living at peace with them. I'm like, no, you wouldn't be not at all. Like, I mean, they were shown killing like wolves and like, you know, in some areas, wolves are considered nearly extinct anyways, because of humans. Yeah. I can't imagine them being eaten by raptors and then that improving any, you know, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, there was a, a funny or die video where it showed the two younger, well, of the newer movies, main characters, uh, trying to get on an airplane with um, Beta. And they had Beta in a, in a, like a little dog cage. And they were trying yeah. to convince the airline person that they were discriminating. Like, you're discriminating. This is my, this is my, um, you know, emotional support dinosaur trying to make it get on the plane. And the airline consultant was like, I cannot let you take a dinosaur on the plane. And then at this point, uh, Beta fucking breaks out of the cage and starts like terrorizing people in the. You know what my big problem well, you're is? It, is? If you understand the uh, reptile's brain is very primal. It's the most primal type brain structure. So when they try to rationalize and make friends with these dinosaurs, it's so laughable. Like, what are we doing? Okay, are they fully primal or are they also opportunistic hunters? No, they're 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 one of the most. Look at an alligator or or chicken as primal type, and a chicken's not even a predatory animal. But if you put like a snake or a rat around a chicken, they destroy it naturally. Yeah, because like sharks are are sharks primal or are they opportunistic? Sharks have a more a more sharks have evolved. Yeah, they they have a more adept brain structure. When, whenever they talk, when they talk psychologically about humans, and they talk about us operating on our basis, most you know, basic, most le- you know, instinctual levels, they always say the reptile brain. So that's yeah. that's kind of what he's going for. It's like the I mean, they they just hunt, breed. I mean, you know, that's all they they know how to do. The only thing that they hand wave away in this movie that kind of goes against what what Noah's saying right now is the fact that they give Blue the fact that, you know, that she was like somehow her genetics were manipulated. She's smart versus like some of the others. But yeah, uh, I don't know how, you know, that that's that's magic, you know, sciencey crap that they threw in the movie. <laughs> um, um, I, we didn't let you finish. You, you know, you were kind of getting to what you, the likes and dislikes you had. I well my my dislikes are all the stupid shit in the movie like yeah. all that is just like totally dumb but like once they get into the animal preserve like toward the end like half midpoint of the movie toward the end and it turns basically into Jurassic Park but without maybe the you know the smartness of that movie I enjoyed it for the the thrills of it I I do appreciate the fact that they had like a bird like dinosaur in this movie. Um, that's still debated in science communities whether they whether or not they had feathers, but I think they're leaning towards some of them did at least. And then I did like the uh, the Freddy Krueger one. I've heard somebody call it the Freddy Krueger oh dinosaur God. that kind of hunts Claire at one point. I did like that scene. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I was terrified when she went underwater. Yeah, I was like, I mean, "What predator they, is in there? Let's let's talk about that." <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jurassic leeches. That's Ugh. what's in there. I mean, no, thank you. No, thank you. I don't know this. If you thought the last Jurassic Park was bad, watch this one. It'll probably change your opinion. And you know what? Actually, that I, I don't. It didn't for me. I didn't have anything to compare to because I hadn't seen the one prior to this. So I was going in with the, blind eyes. The one prior to this looks amazing compared to this one. Didn't they have like a to, an altered like dinosaur human or person? Well, she was in the movie. It was the girl that they her DNA was. It, it, this movie is so bad. Near the end, when they're when they're when they're trying to duplicate that scene from the car where they're moving around it, they pulled it <laughs> off. They didn't pull it off. It was a train wreck. You had like eight people trying to circle a car. What are we doing? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> that was so <laughs> like, like like that like that like he couldn't just fucking step on the car, smash it, and walk over and, and just that's swap exactly them all what would have happened. Yeah, well, they're yeah. no, it's you know not that smart. Little, big dinosaur, little. Didn't they have like super, super tiny brains? Yeah, but keep in mind. Okay, so if you <laughs> if you trim back all the cognitive function about thinking about objectively, and you run off a base instinct, you're gonna make decisions immediately. You're not gonna calculate it. You're just gonna perform them. I that's think... what reptiles do. Rap- reptiles make calculations on instinct, and then they go. They don't sit there and rationalize and stuff like that. It's more of a baser drive. That brings up something that people are like with T-Rexes. If I just sit real still, they can't see me. 
and they, you know, whatever. Which I don't believe that. Yeah, because I'm like, if is there, what are those uh, Komodo dragons, those fucking, the deadliest fucking. It's, it's not even that, but <laughs> they, they, you... they have a, if they, you're, if you're. They still have a nose. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. <laughs> how, how good is most reptile sense of smell? It's amazing. You can look at snakes as any type of example of that in other, in other creatures too, even lizards. They have a, a, an awesome sense of smell. So and, I don't. And they have different sensors that we don't even have. Like snakes can sense, like even electrical uh, I believe impulses. like pressure changes with yes. their tongue. Like it's weird. Like all the stuff they can do. Mm. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like you said, lots of things to pick apart. I personally enjoyed the film. Uh, lots of action to distract me. Okay. If, if, Just action distraction. That's going to be a new phrase for me. If you had to pick one thing that would make this movie better, what would it be? Um. Well, that's hard because like it wasn't by any means a perfect movie, but I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know what I would have changed. I wasn't thinking about it so hard that I was like, well, that's stupid. It's, it's, a, it's a utopia. It's this fake live in harmony type movie. It, it's not meant to be real. Was it meant to be like, that's, that's not how then it is. Why, then why they try to follow the science so hard then? They That's didn't. the one thing I would probably change about the movie is the utopia stuff. If everybody thought going in this movie they were going to get a world where it was just like, you know, you would see in scenes of total chaos like New Yorkers fighting yeah. against raptors and shit like that. That's the movie they should have made. That I don't actually know why been cool. they threw in this. Yeah, know. and then people just have all these fucking tactical gear on and they're just fucking blasting the fuck out of raptors and that'd be awesome actually. Yeah, okay. I mean. But that's just because I'm an, an action whore, so I don't know. But... <laughs> Okay, so shall shall we get away from this and move on to the next film, the big, yeah, the big one that's just let's move came on out. to the other one. I can I agree I can agree this other movie is way better than what it, it tried to achieve. Um, so the next movie is Black Phone, uh, based on the Joe Hill. I believe it's a short story. Maybe um, it's uh, it's it recently just came out. Blumhouse Productions and you know uh, coordination with Universal Studios. And it's one of those, uh, I mean, you can tell from the previews, it's like a serial killers on the loose in this small suburban town. And, and like, I believe, uh, uh, was it, uh, Colorado, I believe. Um, anyways, they, um, and they're trying to, and, and this, one of the main characters in the movie gets kidnapped and it kind of goes on from there. Uh, what are your thoughts on that movie in particular? Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed this movie more than I thought I was going to. Um, and as a matter of fact, I wasn't sure that I was going to go watch it. Uh, and the only reason that I was forced to see it literally when it was released was the kids would not shut the fuck up. They really wanted to go see this film. Um, I read a portion of this book that came out. And the book, w- and I must not have gotten to this short story. The, b- the book is called Black Phone. And it has the same movie poster image, but the stories are vastly different. And I don't want to say a lot more scarier, but a lot there's a lot more horror involved with the stories versus what we got from this movie. Now, this movie was scary in the sense that it was something that could actually happen. Now, without giving away anything there are things in the movie that maybe wouldn't happen or maybe you might get diagnosed with some kind of disorder if you said that that's what happened. So we'll leave it at that. There's a little bit of element of supernatural in it, um, you know, which I think they could have been, they could have taken the horror up a notch with it and still achieved what they did with it. So which I don't is know. funny because I've seen nothing but like non-horror people talking about how it's the most frightening movie they've seen in like two decades or something. <laughs> you know? Frightening? Um, <laughs> <my> yes. Kids... <laughs> I, I'd classify it as a thriller. Yeah. It's a thriller, a thriller all the way. Sure. There is no, it's all tension. It's not like, yes. I mean, there's a few jump scares, but they're like, I, I can count maybe like three or four on my hands in yes. that movie. Three or four. I think they were quality jump scares though, for sure. They weren't just cheesy loud piano, you know, throw you off because of the sound. I think they were, you know, pretty legit what they gave you. Um, The funny thing about this I had mentioned is that my kids were more scared of the fact that, again, this is reality. This is something that could happen to them. They could get kidnapped and horrific stuff can happen. So I think that's what got them more than anything. So I I thought that was pretty, it was pretty enjoyable to see that from them because we don't get that from them very often. They don't get scared as easily. 
I have a couple of questions for you based upon stuff I've been reading. Do you feel like they should have went more into uh, Ethan Hawke's character in the movie? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've seen that, you know, argued by people, and I'm the opposite, but that's because I hate knowing, like, the, the background for, like, these killers because I feel like it, it, it somehow diminishes them a little bit whenever you know, like, they're... Like if you, if you get more involved with them, it's, it's almost like, you know, the movie's trying to give you a little bit of sympathy toward them. Oh. And I like it better when they're like, a, you know, no, no, I wouldn't want any kind of sympathy. Uh, uh, let me reiterate what I, what I took by that question. I would want to kind of see more of him. Um, but okay. at the same time, it would have taken away from the kid who was the main character that for a fucking, I'm guessing he's somewhere between 12 and 14. He fucking held this movie together for a, not so well-known actor yet. Really good child actor. Very yeah. good. And, I mean, we've discussed a few child actors that really fucking knocked it out of the park. And this kid was very convincing, um, did did a really, really good job. In fact, both of the main character kids did. Um, the hubby and I kind of picked a few things apart in the movie, like things that wouldn't have happened. Like, I'm sorry, this was the, what was this, the 70s that this happened? My big thing 78. is, okay. I, I never feel sympathetic for the villain, regardless of what the backstory is. So, uh, to me, backstories are critical just to paint a broader picture. Like, it, it, even if the bad person has a bunch of bad stuff done to them, like prime example of the, the movie Frailty, you, you really don't feel bad for the main for the 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 other son that gets killed. I, I think no. Back- I mean, I actually, I, I actually enjoy that movie quite a bit because they go in the background. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, to me, it, it doesn't matter what the justification is. They're still the bad guy. It doesn't. To me, it never changes anything. It it just gives you a broader picture of human nature. So I think it it works better at at closing gaps like that. Um, this movie had some elements to it that the hubby and I were like, that wouldn't have happened in the seventies. I'm like sorry. Oh yeah. Some of the that what well, they got me is the Asian kid that was the the batter, the like, star player. If you understand the temperature of America at that moment in time, yeah, yeah, no way. Because they even, even mention it in Back to the Future. Is there that line where uh, you know? I mean, it, it, they were warming up to it, but it was like the whole thing about Japanese parts inside of the DeLorean, and it was like you know, it's like what are you talking about? You know, it's like when Doc has that line to him. Of course, it's the fifties Doc that says it, but still, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's. You know, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Again, I really, I, I thought about these things. I didn't allow it to pick apart the movie. I thought it was good. The child actors, There's... the child actors were amazing. Ethan Hawke was, I liked his villain character. There's, there's one, Go ahead. one thing. There's one thing about the movie I want to nitpick. He had a better weapon uh, the kid did at one part than the phone. Like, I don't Big know time. why. Oh, they that's went what, that route. yeah, yeah. Noah's that's he literally really that's... busted through the wall with one of the weapons yes. he could have used. Well, not even and... that, but this, this, this still great. Like, uh, that's what blew my mind. It's like, okay, you put the still great at the bottom, he fell down and hit his foot. But if you would have timed it right and he fell down, you could have smashed him over there with the still great, which would have broke his fingers and it would have made a more structural. Okay, weapon. well, let's not, let's not. For anyone listening, let's oh, not spoiler. let's not get into yeah, yeah into too I, much about I'm it. I'm not getting into it. I just want to say that having helped helped my dad for years doing construction type work, I'm not going to say what way. I know how effective one of the, what that kid could have done with another thing in that movie, and yeah. I was just like, why? Why did you go with the phone instead of that? Like, yeah, there was a few things. Well, just no reason. <laughs> there was a few uh, things that we kind of saw that were like, why didn't he use this to? to climb up that or why didn't he blah 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 so there was a lot of whys there was a lot of well that probably wouldn't have happened we're also talking about a kid who got kidnapped who was afraid of the kidnapper he was afraid of getting kidnapped and he's like wait a second are you giving away free tacos and that's how he got kidnapped and it's like homie you like you were the one person and i know they needed it to get the film going but yeah, it's one of those things where he's the one that's deliberately like looking out for the kid, you know, like this weird person that's doing all this. And then as soon as he meets a weird person, he's like, "Hey, you got something to your van? Oh shit!" You know, it's like, <laughs> "What are you doing, kid?" I thought that was the funniest part of the film. He's like, "Wait a second, free kittens?" You know, and I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" But I think uh, I think we have guests outside waiting to come in, and we are completely ignoring them. Shall we let them in? Well, let's let them in. All right. 
I gotta oil up this chair. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Doctor Death, and joining me as always. Is the wrathful spirit with a decency not to spread her murders like a supernatural plague, La Urena? How you doing, Urena and Noah? <laughs> I have some beef with this bitch going around and just fucking scaring the shit out of people that aren't even giving any life to her. She's just fucking doing it for no reason. It's like at least get some energy from the people who you're killing. <laughs> Uh, feed off of their uh, energy before you uh, uh, take them out. Yeah, finally. and like keep it to the children, you know? Come on, Monsters, Inc. We scare because we care. <laughs> uh, today I'm taking a break from my side gig as a time-traveling detective to discuss the Japanese horror film Ju-On the Grudge, uh, 2002, as well as the American remake simply titled The Grudge. And for reference, we are talking about the 2004 film and not the 2020 pseudo-reboot slash prequel, <laughs> uh, which is a thing I didn't know about until I started researching this. Yes. Uh, we, <laughs> we will break down and compare the two films, go into a bit of history about the franchise and the lore it's based upon, and even include a bit of trivia. So we'll sit back, tape up the windows, and put that black cat outside as we go over the grudge podcast plug if you're enjoying the podcast we would appreciate if you would take the time to like comment subscribe on whatever podcast platform platform you prefer it helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow we appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show yeah and thank you but to denmark that, we're moving up again we're moving up we're in the, we're not in the 180s anymore we're in the 170s what, what country is that again by Den the way denmark you know what's 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 Denmark's native language? Germany's. Uh, it's it's not hillbilly. I can tell you that much. It's yeah. not hillbilly, but they like you. Denmarkian. That is not nice. Den okay, the people of Denmark, we appreciate you, no, and I'm, it's I'm, a joke. It's a silly joke. If you're listening to on YouTube, put down in the comment section what what the native language is. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I you know I don't I know most of our I was looking at our, our analytics and most of our viewers are. What or listening or watching from PC, but it's Amazon uh, podcast is number one where we're where we're being viewed the most. I'm not saying that's where everyone in Denmark is listening. Um, the fact that we're even on Apple charts anywhere is is is, is shocker. I'm, I'm kind of curious what type of culture there is in Denmark. Yeah, me too. After we should go visit. We can go do a live podcast. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, Reverend. We interrupted you. Oh, that's fine. I was just going to say that uh, back for this episode, I do have an attack of the bees. Woo! What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! Out of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this attack of the bees is, uh, I, I, I thought about going with another, uh, uh, Japanese horror film, but this one kind of resonated with me as far as the description. It kind of matched a little bit of what we're going to be covering today, so I, I figured I'd keep it thematically the same. Um, it's the it, the movie is called The Power uh, from 2021. Um, it was directed by Corinna Faith, uh, also written by her, um, and we have uh, principal players in this is Rose Williams playing Val, an orphan who grew up to become a nurse and return to her hometown in order to help people. Uh, she's also afraid of the dark, which factors into the movie. And uh, there's, and that kind of ties into her religious upbringing, why she's afraid of the dark. Uh, and they get into that as the movie goes along. Um, not really heard of, I mean, most of these are British actors and actresses, so I've not really heard of any of the movies and stuff they've been in. Uh, we have Devine Henry, uh, who's playing uh, the matron, who's the cold and authoritative head nurse. We have Emma Rigby playing Babs. Um, she's kind of a, a naughty uh, nurse in the movie, uh, kind of does her own thing, including screwing the, the local maintenance worker. Uh, and um, she's a formal, former schoolmate of Val's, which kind of creates this weird mean girl attitude and uh, back and forth between the two of them. We have uh, Charlie Carrick uh, playing Franklin, uh, said night shift maintenance worker who uh, and worker, and he's kind of a security guard too. He's a little bit unhinged, and he and he likes to use the fact that uh, he's around all these women to his advantage. 
And then we have uh, Shakira Rahman playing Saba, uh, a sick uh, Indian child who doesn't uh, speak uh, much English. And uh, she's the target of what seems to be an evil presence in the movie. So the synopsis for this film is that in 1973, a young nurse begins work at her local hospital with the intent to help her local community. Uh, coal miner strikes during the time have resulted in a shortage of coal, and the utility companies have been forcing rolling blackouts to lighten the demand on the electrical grid, which is kind of topical given today's situation. <laughs> where, where, where does the movie take place? California. Okay, uh, so- I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> wow. it, it takes place in uh, in Britain, by the way. But and, yeah, and what, I would what, be surprised. What, what, what time frame you said? 1970. Uh, 1973. Yeah, they, they had legit issues with uh, coal and power. It, it, it hits <laughs> no, historically, it's... kind of follows. Yep. Um, when Matron, the head nurse, feels her authority challenged by her new hire, she retaliates by giving Val the night shift during one of these rolling blackouts. <laughs> the death and suffering of the building has attracted something sinister, and it bides its time in the darkened corners. When darkness falls, the screaming begins. Um, it's... There's one historic, we was talking about historical inaccuracies when we were talking about um, uh, the black phone. Uh, this one has one that's kind of, that some people have pointed out. There's a nurse in this movie that's got a copy of Carrie and it kind of, oh, yeah. which ties in thematically with the movie and it didn't come out for like two years after this movie was set. So that's kind of an interesting <laughs> wah, mess up wah. on their part. Uh, what, what name, what's the name of the movie again? Uh, the Power. Why does this sound familiar? Um, I think I've seen it before. You've probably seen it. It's because it's, it's a movie. It's, it's a Shutter exclusive, so you've probably seen it on it, Shutter. It, 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 where does it happen at a power plant or or a police station? And no, it happens in a in a hospital. Okay, okay. Um, the thing takes place in the hospital. I think I've seen this. All right, go on, Reverend. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> but but anyways, I mean it's it's an interesting film. It, it's. Uh, I'm not to spoil it, but I kind of have to say this. So if you want to jump ahead a little bit, you know, go ahead. But it has too saccharine and happy of an ending for what the, I think the movie was going for. Ooh. You know, some movies, some movies, I mean, and, and I almost felt that about, about Black Phone, but it, I felt like it was satisfying to, for the most part. Whereas this one uh, is just a little too happy considering all the bad things that go on but prior to the ending. So... Uh, but other than that, I like where it goes, and it, it's kind of got a nice twist about why the evil presence is targeting the child and, and what it's trying to accomplish. Um, and it's, I mean, it is a ghost film, so it does tie in thematically this season, so it kind of works that way. Uh, and, you know, hospitals are, you know, uh, they, they make it a point to say, you know, like, have you, you know, a, being in a hospital at night, you know, is creepy enough, but you take the power out. And I mean, that makes it even creepier. So it's a, it's a good setting for, uh, for this type of thing, especially during the time period that they're talking about, because, uh, their backup generators, like, you know, they, it, it, the, the movie does a really, really good job with lighting. That's the best thing. Oh, that okay. it had. I mean, that because there's a lot of like near darkness. I mean, you can barely see like the character can barely see and it kind of really helps, you know, amp up that tension. And when she's, you know, and she's and, and, and light sources are kind of her safety. Like if she can find an area that's well lit, uh, because of backup generators or whatever, then you feel safer in the movie. It's like a brief res- respite from like the, the tension. Isn't there a video game the like that? Where light is your protection. I feel like there's a video game. Similar to that. Yeah, it's called Alan Wake. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, I don't no, it is. Um, you have a flashlight in the air. Yeah. Hmm, okay. Uh, and and it, it plays in the movie to a degree. Um, and also, they, they do it. There's one scene in the movie that really stands out for like somebody who's like a beginning filmmaker. I got to give them credit for this. There's a scene where the, the and, and it plays into the movie later on, but there's a scene where the, the Val is looking at like this uh, glass door as it's closing, and somebody has this sign behind it, and there's a sign that's positioned behind it that's got like some like somebody's face, and it's something about cover your face when you cough or something. But like when the door closes, the way they frame it, it's perfect where her face superimposes over the other face, and it's almost like you see her like her melding into another person. And it's just, I mean, considering what they do later in the later in the movie, it, it's it's very symbolic, but it also it's like perfect how they filmed it. And I got to give them credit for that. Like visually, it's a it's a good small thing that they added into it that you know for a beginning filmmaker, I thought was really good. Yeah, sounds pretty cool actually. 
Um, as far as the Nick Cage rating on this one, I'm going to go with the uh, the movie Mom and Dad, the 2017 horror film, pseudo horror horror film that he was in, because uh, it's got a great concept for a film. It's it's pretty well executed, uh, although this one a little bit more saccharine, like I said, than it could have been um, as far as the ending. Um, and it probably should have been a little bit more ambiguous uh, in how it ended like mom and dad was. So that's, that's kind of my Nick Cage rating, but I, I do recommend you checking it out. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, I, they, they did a lot with a little is what I'll say as far as like, you know, working the different elements. And I mean, they didn't require a whole lot of CGI or anything like that to accomplish. Yeah. And I think ultimately what it comes down to apparently in this studio is we like vengeful st- vengeful spirits to win. We like them to have the last say, <laughs> good or bad. So, uh, vengeful spirits rights. We're going to start a new activist group. Yeah, well, we need to do that like they did in Thirteen Ghosts. Yes. I mean, we got to stand up for these spirits that can't defend themselves. They have rights too. <laughs> um, but recently, I did pay a visit to Video Smash Up when I went to rent a copy uh, of The Grudge uh, to review for this uh, this podcast. And while I was being rung up, uh, Donnie G took a glance at the title of the movie that I was renting and recommended a follow up film as a nice little double feature. And uh, he did, and and he he and this is the review that he gave us. All right, let's see. And now. It's time for another episode of I think I downloaded the wrong movie. Hey y'all, it's Donnie G again, and this week I'm going to be breaking down and reviewing The Grudge 2, The Time She Milks It Back to Life. Uh, this is going to be a bit different from previous episodes. Uh, The last ones have been more feature-length films. This one is going to be more of a clip. It's only a little bit more than 11 minutes long. It's also independently produced and distributed by Zentai Fantasy, who seem to specialize in cosplay porn. As far as a breakdown goes, there's really not a whole lot to this piece. A Kaiko-type character appears from the shadows in the darkly lit room, approaches her nameless, faceless victim, blows him, and then returns to the shadows. I would definitely classify this as cosplay porn, but I would also put it in the femdom genre because it's obvious that Kaiko is in a position of power the entire time, but the guy appears to be chained to a chair or some sort of table. Because this is an independent production, There's no IMDB listing, so I can't give you a professional rating on it, but its official eggplant score is two and a half out of five, and I am going to justify my score. This isn't a bad scene. It can definitely get the job done, but it has pros and it has cons. Starting with the pros, uh, the AMSR is really heavy in this scene. Lots of breathing, lots of heavy moaning, lots of slurping. You can really hear every single element about the scene uh, to the extent to where if you close your eyes, you still know exactly what's going on. There is awesome eye contact in this, not only with the male talent, but also with the camera. So it's actually like the Kayako character is looking directly at you. There is also the costume design. This is really well done. Uh, In the opening scene, as soon as she appears on camera, you know exactly who she is. Even if there weren't any type of opening title sequence, you would still know this is intended to be Kayako. As far as the negatives go, personally, to me, it seems like it's a pretty lazy blowjob. And I'm being completely honest. Um, Very minimal use of her hands. She doesn't play with his nuts at all. And there's no deep throating. There's no gagging. Now, don't get me wrong. I, like most men, I'm not going to complain when I'm getting my dick wet. But whenever I'm seeing it on film, I want to see all of that. And my biggest complaint about this is 
there is no finish. There is no money shot at all. Either she swallows and they just don't show that, or she just leaves them hanging. Literally. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, that's my review. It's good. Definitely not great, but it will get the job done in a pinch. And again, if you're gonna, if you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at Big Bald M F E R, and you can also follow the show at Death Holler Podcast. Until next time, friends. Peace out. Are you down to watch it? No. You don't want to watch it at all. I mean, it's only an eleven minute. I have some questions. Um, he mentioned the costume design, and I'm like, okay, so they painted a naked woman white and put a black wig on her. Oh, it's that's all it is. <laughs> it gave her some black raccoon eyes. <laughs> I knew exactly who she was. Uh, you don't fucking say. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's uh, the ASMR part got me. Just, yeah. Uh, and why, why he chose to tell me all this right there in the middle of the video store, I have no idea. But, hey, that's that's Donnie G for you. I mean, Hopefully it, there were no know, children present. <laughs> Not at that time, thankfully. Thankfully, thankfully. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, moving on. I think with that, we probably need to get on the main movie discussion here. All right. Um, first up. It's uh, Juwan the Grudge, uh, the 2002 film, uh, directed by Takashi Shimizu. Shimizu? Shimizu? Shimizu. I I don't know how. There's going to be a lot. Shimizu. Uh, There's going to be a lot of mispronunciations. I'm sorry. Um, Also written by the Takashi. uh, Music by Shiro Sato. Uh, made for a budget of 3.5 million USD, only made a box office of 3.65 million USD, but I think that's because it didn't have a very wide release. Okay. Um, they uh, we'll see that that made a huge. There's a huge difference though whenever it comes to the American version. When we get to that, uh, principal players, uh, Megumi Okina, who plays Rika. She's the social service worker that uh, shows up at the beginning, and she's also a very unfortunate bystander, which that describes about anybody who is involved with a grudge. Um, and she, toward the end of the film, becomes a new host for the curse, which we'll get into a little bit. Um, she was in, she's been in several different films, uh, according to IMDb, Jellyfish, which is kind of like a Mean Girls type slice of life type film. Uh, St. John's Wart, which is a not the, the herbal supplement, but it's a video <laughs> game designer, uh, finds a decrepit mansion uh, matching the dreams that she's been having. It actually sounds pretty cool. It's like she's having these weird, creepy dreams, and then she goes to develop a game in this house that matches her dreams, and then kind of spooky stuff happens. That sounds badass, um, actually. Uh, sh- uh, there was a Shudder, which is a 2008 horror film uh, with Joshua Jackson uh, about haunted photos, uh, which is uh, kind of almost reminds me of that GameCube game that came out, that Fatal Frame, I believe that was. That kind of it's kind of got a vibe sounding like that, and uh, just tons of TV roles. But that's kind of all these actors and actresses. They all kind of like played a lot of t- different TV parts. Yeah, uh, I want to uh, say real have... quick before you move on, I loved shutter that i can remember it might be a different story now watching it but i wanted to review that this season i don't really think it's necessary now that we've done this but that, that was a have you seen it i have not i need to watch that because i have i've never seen that one it, yeah. it's really good yeah we got it yeah um I'll, I'll, I'll add that to the list because there's a bunch of these that i've been wanting to check out there's uh I got to look up the name of it, but there's one that I didn't know about that that's more of like a Korean horror film. It's it's like the the two sisters or something like that, like that, and, and it, it sounds like it'd be really good too, as far as like a creepy movie. Um, we have Mizagi uh, Misaki Ito playing Hitomi Tokunaga, uh, who is the uh, sister uh, uh, of the couple that that moves into the house at the beginning of the film. Um, and she kind of gets uh, spirited away uh, in her apartment later on, and uh, she's the one of the first victims in this in the film in this film at least to have the curse follow her outside of the house. So she's kind of interesting that way, and that kind of 
leads into some problems later on as we discuss them because of how the curse perpetuates. Um, she was in a movie called Sea Cat, which is kind of a love triangle set in like a fishing village. Uh, a movie called Face to Face, which is a horror thriller about a rich husband who dies and then leaves his poor best friend to inherit his wealth and take his wife. It's kind of like, uh, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, of course, it's, you know, there's, I think there's like the hint that, you know, his, his best friend obviously killed him. And, but, but the rich husband comes back to let, you know, to kind of, you know, let everybody know what truly happened or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we have Misa uh, Uihara, who plays Azumi Toyama, which is the multi-generational victim of the curse. Uh, and she's also a time traveler, which we'll get into. Um, and she's just done a bunch of TV work with a few romantic films here and there. We have Kanji Suda, mm -hmm. who plays Katsuya Tokunaga, uh, possessed husband of the, the, of the couple that first moves into the house. Um, he was in a movie called Hell Driver, which is kind of a zombie apocalypse movie. Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. These Japanese films have some uh, very straight-to-the-point names. Oh, my God. Uh, which they, they might be more poetic in their language. It's just it, it reads very weird in English, though. Uh, Blood, which is kind of an erotic vampire film. And then he's played in lots of TV, like I said. We have Shur Matsuda, who plays Katsumi Tokunaga, uh, She's kind of the paralyzed, in shock victim or the wife uh, of the husband uh, that moves into the house. Uh, Takashi Matsuyama, who plays Takeo Saki, uh, who is the original creator of the curse, the jealous husband, artist, and murderer. Uh, we have Yuya Oziki, who plays Toshio, which is the ghost child merged with a cat. Uh, and he's kind of the bait for his mother to come in and do the dirty work, basically. Um, and then we have uh, Takako Fuji playing Kai Kayako, who's the, technically the innocent victim, at least in the Japanese version. We'll get into the difference in the American one. And uh, she's a, the wrath-filled spirit and the big bad of the film. Woo! Um, Girl power. Of course, she was in... <laughs> of course she was in the american version too which uh, a lot of these some of these actors and actresses will uh, kind of be in that film uh she was in the sequel jew on the grudge 2 uh she was in a movie called Re reincarnation which is kind of a horror film about an actress that starts having strange visions and experiences after landing a, a role in a horror movie so kind of life imitating you know kind of a meta narrative there uh, and then, of course, she was in Jew on the Curse and Jew on the Curse 2. And she was a voice actress in anime. She was in Princess Mononoke, Naruto, and Ghost in the Shell, which is interesting. Wow. Those are yeah, high-end so, ones, too. Oh. And, I mean, holy fucking popular in Japan. Like, those fucking toys and comics are fucking everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I saw that and I'm like, okay, well, she's really, I mean, she's really at the top of the pop culture. I mean, as far as like the stuff she's been in. Yeah. Um, so the synopsis of the movie is that a jealous husband filled with rage kills his wife, their son, and the family cat after finding evidence of her infatuation with another man. You didn't give us a rut row. Uh, what? You didn't give us a rut row. Scooby. Oh, well. Wow. People, oh, they're so uh, disappointed now. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It, it, the, the, does the cat really need a rut row? I'm just saying. It it's, kind it's, of does. <laughs> okay. I'm just well, there's a rut row warning then. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, guys. There's a rut row. <laughs> um, I don't think they actually, well, they, they might show it for like a split sec at the beginning of the Japanese one. It's kind of like told in like quick cuts, but I don't think they really focus on it. It's more of in like the, the curse where they kind of show this more elaborately. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, they do, and I love this about the films, is that they reuse the same clips. They literally true, take they clips do. from the movie and they use it to retell stories and I'm, I'm for it, so... Well, I mean, they've already got it there, and it—I mean, it's—it's it's functional, so why not? I mean, yeah. So we we get to see the cat get rut road multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> um, the negative energy and trauma caused by this event places a curse upon the home in which they live, haunting and ultimately dooming anybody who sets foot inside. 
the curse began spreading outside the home and into the local neighborhood, claiming the lives of numerous victims. Amongst those are a well-meaning police detective, his young daughter, a social worker who was merely doing her job. And in the end, the outcome is bleak with the curse continuing on like a plague and a new spirit taking up residence in the home to continue the haunt, which is Rika. At least that's what I got out of it. I don't know. I mean, we can kind of discuss that. I mean, how did you all interpret the ending of the Japanese one? Because it's kind of weird. It's more like an art, artsy type ending for that movie. You, you know what? It's hard to gauge it just for the fact that the Japanese horror scene didn't really blow up until they got a lot of American influence. So they, they've made a lot of content, but it's, it's weird when you gauge it. Uh, like, if you watch Japanese horror now, compared to kind of when that movie came out, it there's giant changes in the way they took their, their horror scene. And okay, but what the question was is, like, for this particular ending in this film, for the Grudge series, what was your take on it? That's what I'm saying. It's hard to gauge it. Like, it, you'd, you'd have to be, you'd have to give it a better gauge of the error that was coming out of the horror scene out of Japan. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree to kind of in a different stance is that, I think it's it works because it kind of, this is, well, I wouldn't say the first, but it kind of paints its own version of how the grudge technically works. And I guess we'll kind of get into that with the, um, with the lore. But there's so many different versions of this film, also in a television series, et cetera. And it kind of ultimately comes down to a scorned woman. Or, or a victim that is taken over by a scorned woman. Yeah, I mean, the way it ends, it looks like Rika is possessed by oh, Kayako, yeah. and then she perpetuates the curse. Like, she, because it, when it focuses on that last frame and she opens up her eyes, it's it's like now she is the one that's, and, and I don't, and it's kind of open up for interpretation because, I mean, we can get, we'll get into it a little bit more later, but like Kaiko is like not only at the house any longer, like she's at any location she mm-hmm. ever killed anybody at. Uh, Kaiko, so in my opinion, I, I refer to her as a STD. She is a spiritually transmitted disease. <laughs> Um, <laughs> she really, really, she, and yeah, and <laughs> she, she's airborne, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't, do you want to go into the lore a little bit about like what this is based on? Because it's kind of like a, and, and I don't know how to pronounce it really. It's like a vengeful spirit called it on Rio. I'm pretty on sure Rio. it'd be pro- pronounced uh, on Rio. Something like that. That's the okay. Spanish version, but the Japanese would pronounce it because their O's are pronounced O. So, Onrio. I'm pretty sure that's how they would pronounce okay. it. If I'm saying it wrong, my apologies. Okay. I am Mexican. So, <laughs> any Japanese listeners out there, 100% correct me. But um, so I got my information. I took it because you can get information about anything anywhere. Wikipedia, wik- yeah, Wikipedia typically be the main area that people go to, but I actually went to Japanese wiki. Um, and my information is from Japanese wiki corpus.org. Um, just because they kind of culturally, they I'm sticking with the Japanese, which is, that's what she is. Um, their mm-hmm. version of it. And so that's where I got my information. If you want to go look it up and I'm pretty much just going to be reading from this, um, short article of what she is and kind of giving snippets because it was just the most well detailed, um, one and if we're sticking with the culture, that's where I want to be. So, um, Onrio are common supernatural or ghostly phenomenon that cannot be seen by human eyes, which uh, kind of contradicts in this movie a little bit. Yes, uh, they harbor <laughs> ill will and vengeance towards humans. I find it horrific that they can't see if if that's how it, this culture is going. Like, could you imagine fucking being attacked by? We've seen it in fucking Thirteen Ghosts, being attacked by a spirit you can't see. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so due to these attributes, they're classified as evil spirits. Um, they're referred to, and they don't specify that they're women so much. It's just for some reason the movie kind of took on that these are angry women. I mean, how hath no fury. Um, <laughs> uh, they refer to supernatural phenomenon and the religious idea or spiritual potion that a person dies in an accident or incident um, that is very, very negative, then that's how they kind of become 
these spirits. They also kind of gain a mental, oh God, like a um, a mental and physical like power uh, to actually execute their anger towards you know an actual living being. Um, let me see, and it's really unreal, which is defined as a revengeful or excuse me, revengeful ghost. It's kind of just more so a term. I don't know if that that's the definition or whatever, but they kind of used it for storytelling, comics, movies, dramas, etc. Now, okay. something I found interesting is we're reviewing movies called Juan. And in this article, um, there is a spirit. They refer to her as the Onen. And both Juan and Onen mean grudge. So okay. I don't, yeah, I, I was like, so Juan is more like curse and grudge put together. So it would be like curse of the grudge. And then Onen is basically grudge. But I was like, uh, okay. Like that makes it kind of confusing. Um, okay, <laughs> let me see if there's anything more notable in here. Folkloric background. The usual understanding is that there are cases where the place and grave where the person who is said to have become an Onryo died is vandalized or people who merely inadvertently pass through will become cursed. Okay. So, I mean, that, and that, that makes tracks sense. with a movie. Yes. So, yeah. like, a, like a portal into the... It's the, just like the... Okay, so, yeah, I, I, a portal would be a good word, but... So, like, if you are, you know how they're going to the house and they're doing stupid things. Okay, they're cursed. Uh, walking maybe by the house or maybe looking through the house because they're going to buy it. Fucking curse. The spirit just grabs you and's like, ha ha, I got you, bitch. And then that's how. <laughs> that's, yeah. Just like that. They are looking for, they're looking to channel themselves through something, which makes sense in some movies how we're going to discuss how if a person dies, Maybe not even so much in the house, but they kind of take on the spirit or that, that they become the new version of the spirit, which I have my own idea of why that is. And then there's also the people that get possessed because you and I watch the TV show and like literally like in the first scene, you see a girl get possessed. Yeah, the TV show is actually pretty good. It was. Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss that a, a, a little, little, little bit. I didn't see a ton of it, but it, a lot of these films were becoming same shit different day. So I was getting over it real fast. Um, okay, so it is said that there have been different viewpoints throughout the ages in Japan and across different regions, regions, including that the dead body becomes sacred beings. The dead become beings to be aboard, or that people who die of unnatural causes become revengeful ghosts and curse the living. Some analysis, analysis of folklore suggests that even during the Edo period, people generally harbored feelings in awe and fear to the dead. Uh, that's That can be all over. That's not just a... Japan thing. As can be seen from the above explanation, the spirits of the deceased have some ambiguous aspects, and in contrast to revengeful ghosts, are the ancestral spirits which are honored. Also, while not completely unrelated to folklore, the philosopher Takeshi Umehara is noted for his work Historic History of Onryo, which looks at Japanese history from the point of view of the uh, appearance of revengeful ghosts. Um, I think what this is trying to get at is <laughs> we've, we've all seen, uh, I forget what the Disney movie is, where you honor the dead, and but if you forget them, they kind of just... Talk become, about that Mexican movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that oh, Mexican. Coco. Coco. Yeah. So in this, yeah. what they're trying to get at is there's a difference between when you honor a person that died, you honor the spirit. I think that's why a lot of these... Asian cultures, and even uh, Mexicans have it too, where we have these shrines that we make for the dead. You don't forget them. They're happy spirits, but if you forget about them, they can become revengeful ghosts. And that lines up with the film too because nobody really gave a shit about these characters. Some of them. Whereas in European lore, basically, you want your dead as far away as possible because they're always going to come back and haunt your ass. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, I did not look up the Takeshi Umahara um, in his notable work, The History of Unreal. I'm pretty sure there's a lot more information there. But, you know, um, it, for uh, the time frame we have, if you want to look up more information, there is a Japanese wiki that talks about Unreal. And it's basically where this spirit of the grudge is direct, or derived from. So 
I wasn't aware of this whenever we start, started, you know, talking about this movie, but this is actually, The Grudge is the third film in a series mm-hmm. of, uh, in, in the overall series. It's preceded by two direct-to-video films, uh, Jew on the Curse and Jew on the Curse 2. Um, and then uh, I just, I've got a few notes here about different films and kind of what happens in them. It's kind of like backstory to this. So in Jew on the Curse, um, oh, it's also told non-chronological uh, order. Uh, kind of, which is, we'll get into it. That's one of probably my biggest gripes about the grudge, but, uh, but it's, but this is told the same way. It's uh, six different little vignettes you, and they're all titled different, uh, based upon the character they're about. So the first film is Toshio, which is, you know, so it's, it's an origin story. Um, we have Yuki is the second one, uh, Mizuho, uh, Kana, Kaiko and Kyoko. So it's uh so it actually does go back and reveal uh how Kaiko came to be, you know, the way she was and kind of the how the murder came about. Yeah. Um so um and it also reveals that the story of the next two families to move into the house. So the family that moves into the house in the grudge is like you probably like th- three families in yeah. cuz they they kind of tie into that. Um so in this one, Takeo finds his wife's diary, which details her unrequited love for her male friend, the school teacher Kobayashi. Um, Kobayashi leaves his pregnant wife to check on Kaiko's son, Toshio, which is one of his students, who's been absent from school for a, for a few days, unaware that both her and her child have been murdered. Um, um, so when he goes to visit Toshio, um, Kaiko and Toshio have already been murdered at this point. He finds Toshio oddly quiet sitting in the house, but there's no sign of Kaiko. When his patience finally runs out, he investigates the house, finding the diary detailing her love and her bloody corpse uh, stuffed in the attic. In a panic, he tries to escape with Toshio, but receives a call from the still-living Takeo, who has visited his home while he's away and aborted in all the wrong ways. Uh, uh, Kobayashi's unborn child from his still-living wife mm-hmm. and in the process. Uh, in complete shock, Kobayashi is powerless to stop the ghost of Kaiko, who suddenly appears from claiming his life inside the house. Uh, later, uh, Takeo, carrying the murdered fetus in his arms down the street, is also attacked and killed by Kaiko. So that's the first instance of her actually moving outside the home, mm-hmm. is actually to get revenge on her own husband and kill him. So that's the first time she moves outside of the home. Um, Mur- the Murakami move into the house... Uh, sometime later and are systematically haunted and killed by Kaiko. The son disappears on the way to school. His girlfriend, Mizuho, who's one of the titles, uh, receives a text from a number, all fours, which in Japanese, the word for four is she, uh, pronounced the same way as their word for death. So that's the reason it's all fours. It's basically, she's just got a phone call from death, basically. Yeah. Um, and is and and she's paid a visit by Toshio right after she gives, receives this weird text message or, uh, from her friend or from his girlfriend. Um, or so anyways, Yuki, the tutor of the daughter, Kana, um, is pulled into the attic and killed by Kaiko when Kana leaves to go feed rabbits at the school. And then finally, the mother Noriko is pulled is putting up groceries when Kana returns home, seem, seemingly beat up. And upon closer inspection, she is missing her entire jaw. And the scene ends with the mother screaming and dying off screen. Mwah. So, so I mean that. So when we get to the American version, that's kind of the the character they worked into it in mm-hmm. a different way. The one missing the jaw is based upon this character from the curse. Um, the last vignette shows Ka- Kyoko and the fate of the Katadas. Um, uh, Tatsuya, in, in an attempt to sell the house, asks his sister Ki- uh, Kyoko, a sensitive or a psychic, to check the place out. She immediately realizes it's ba- it's bad and even encounters the spirit of Kaiko, but she's able to escape. She tells her brother to have anyone who plans on buying the house drink a certain type of sake, and if they end up spitting it out, they should leave and never come back. It's kind of like a test to see if they, you know, will be uh, able to, you know, basically spiritually, you know, uh, bear the burden of the home. Uh, Later, when she finds out that her brother sold the place, she goes back to check on the people that purchased it, only to discover that Kaiko has possessed the wife, uh, Yoshimi Katada. And that leads into the second film, which is The Curse 2. It's, it's almost like it directly feeds into it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's also told in six vignettes. Um, and then the first two are direct copies from the first film. So it basically just takes the same footage from the first film and, and replaces two of the stories hmm. uh, with slight revisions. Yeah. Uh, but, in, but in this one, we have Kaiko is the first one, Kyoko, uh, Tetsuya, uh, Kamio, uh, Nobuyuki, and Sari. And it starts with a refresher on the murders of Kaiko and Toshio, and then move like just like the grudge does, and then yeah. moves on to show what happened to Kiyoko and Tatsuya once Tat, uh, Kiyoko and Tatsuya sell the house. Uh, let's see, when she goes uh, after in this one, it kind of backtracks when Kiyoko witnesses the spirit of Kaiko, she leaves to go visit her nephew, Nobuyuki who just so happens to be living in the apartment that Kobayashi shared with his wife. So he's already living oh, in an God. apartment that's cursed with a grudge. Um, and now the setting of its own curse, the the two witness, uh, the ghostly killing of Kobayashi's wife, uh, Monami by Takeo. And then Kyoko is seemingly possessed and Nobuyuki becomes a mute at this point. This form is, this forces Tatsuya to move the two to the countryside to live with his parents while he investigates the curse. Meanwhile, Yoshimi Katada, now possessed by Kaiko, murders her husband. And when Tatsuya pays a visit to the phone to the home later on in the film, he is also murdered by the possessed woman. So she takes out two people while she's possessed. Um, Everyone in Kiyoko and Tatsuya's family dies except for Nobuyuki, and he is visited by two detectives, Kamiyo and Azuka, who are investigating the murders. They seek out the help of uh, Yoshikawa, a police officer who has been driven madness, research the, the deaths surrounding the Seiki house, uh, kind of like they do in The Grudge. It's kind of a similar story. They look for this other detective. And um, when Kaiko visits uh, Yoshikawa after uh, Kamio and Azuka leave, uh, she kills him and his family. And then she visits the police station and kills Kamio when he is uh, is alone. Um, Nobuyuki is later shown attending school during uh, his vignette, and he is surrounded by two versions of Kaiko and murdered in the science lab. And the final shots of the scene reveal there is an army of Kaiko spirits outside of the school. Scratching on the glass and making their death rattle noise, uh, signifying that the curse is spreading. Told you, STD. The final scene is that. What's that? I said, I told you, STD. <laughs> really? Uh, well, it's true. Uh, the final scene is outside the Seiki house and features voiceovers of schoolgirls school entering the haunted place. They investigate the second floor, and the movie ends with one of them saying they saw something in the attic. Uh, Sori is one of the girls mentioned by name, and she just so happens to be the, one of Azumi's friends from the next film, The Grudge. So that's how it ties in. So you're kind of seeing, you know, like all this stuff kind of tying into each other. Um, so Jew on The Grudge was also followed by three sequels. Uh, Jew on the Grudge 2, Jew on Black Ghost, and Jew on White Ghost, uh, which are the 10th anniversary films. It had two reboot films, uh, Jew on the Beginning of the End and Jew on the Final Curse. And there's a crossover film with The Ring, which is uh, Sadako versus Kayako, and, uh, which is funny because of the next movie we're going to discuss on the next podcast. And then there's four American films, which are just the grudge, grudge two, grudge three. And then the side cool, which is the grudge 2020, which takes place before and during the events of the other American films where they basically carry the, the curse back to America with them. Um, so it's, so basically, I mean, all these films basically show these different families moving in and just the, the curse, like kind of following them. Although in the first, in the, and you on the curse, you kind of get more of the backstory about what actually happened with, uh, Kaiko and, uh, Takeo and Toshio. And you kind of see what actually happened as opposed to that little small little snippet that they've kind of like lumped in in all the grudge films. Yeah. Um, so what, I mean, what are your all thoughts on the, the Japanese version? I mean, it, it, it's it's got its benefits, but to me, the biggest negative I'm going to start out with is that it being told out of chronological order, it, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on at any given time unless you rewatch it and then you kind of know where you're what you're looking at. Yeah, that's the problem is that this was a rewatch for me um, of one of the Japanese ones, and I had already seen so many versions of The Grudge, the American ones, and seen the Japanese one that... I already had the story, so I knew what was going on, so it wasn't hard to keep up. That's the negatives, is that it starts to become a beating a dead horse. 
The same shit, different day, fine. But That's I will very say, true. yes, but I will say this that I love about the Japanese films is I do feel they are more detailed and they fill in good parts of the story. You get a lot of good background, a lot of good lore. Yeah, but the problem with the Japanese ones, they they didn't they haven't they didn't really start mastering tension technique till way later. Not yet. No, no, no. But I think this was a good start. I know, but you. This is why when you watch the American ones, they're scary because there's a lot of tension that gets built into the story. Yeah, so they had a jumping off point. The the scare factor is definitely down in oh, the yes. Japanese version, which is odd. But we'll get into it. They're, they're mm-hmm. Actually, in this one, it makes a lot of sense because, uh, I mean, like I said, we'll get into it. But in this particular instance, the Japanese director got to do a do-over with the American one. That, mm-hmm. that didn't happen with any of these other Japanese films. So yes. it's like you're seeing the revised draft in the American version, which is a lot better. Yeah, Sam know? Raimi, he loved these films so much. He loved the Japanese ones so much that he literally talked to the creator, the director, the you know writer, and he was able to get assistance from him with his film. So he had, yes, he had the original stuff. He even got the original footage, clearly. And was able to say, okay, now let's make it into this with the, with the blessings of the man. But the tension is ramped down, but there's one thing that I did like better. And I don't know if you all noticed this, but it's, it's the subtlety in what they're doing in the background is a lot better in the Japanese films because the American one, even though it's got the better scares, they're all, everything's up front. There's hardly anything in the background for you to kind of like, you know, like, oh shit, did you just see that type, you know, scenario? Whereas in like the Japanese version, I can give you two examples that really stood out to me. One of them is whenever um, uh, the the sister is going up in the elevator at her apartment, and she happens. And if you look outside the, oh, the yeah. glass elevator, you can see Toshio uh, at every single floor. She's yes. going up. Yeah. Oh, they did way like better. The American version, even in the um, like, there's a couple scenes where there was like a white coat and a black scarf or a black hat hanging up. And if you glance for just a second, it's actually Kayako. And then it just turns back into the product it was. And I really love the scene in the Japanese version, which I I wish they would have done more with in the American one, because I thought it was creepy. It did work, uh, but they didn't translate it over, where uh, the sister is also, like, watching TV uh, and, the like, the TV starts, like, you know, the faces start, like, uh, it starts glitching and like, you know, and it starts making like the, the death rattle sound and all that, like uh, on the actress on the, the news show that she's watching. And I, and little things like that, I thought added to it in ways that I, I feel like the American one kind of missed a little bit, even though the yeah. scares were better in the American one. For sure. For sure. Uh, 